0: Well, friends, welcome back. We're so glad you're joining us for another show on the Protect Your Noggin podcast about a place in the world and why it matters to us. There are folks who are from these places. There are folks who know the geopolitical and economic issues surrounding these parts of the world. But we're interested in understanding what it means for us as a society, as people who are interested in... spiritual liberation for all people and today we're talking about something that may be so close to home for so many Americans that they don't really realize the importance of what's going on at the border and what's going on in Mexico south of the border and what's going on for the folks who have come up to find a better life from Central America and beyond. This week There is a new era, really it's going back to an older era when folks can come across the border and seek asylum. But what this means is there are a lot of folks who are coming from a lot of desperate situations and we don't have necessarily a lot of great answers for how to deal with this crisis, which is a global crisis. It's a crisis that all folks should care about if we are pan-humanists, that is if we care about solidarity love for all of our species in fact all sentient beings we wish them peace and well-being and that's what we wish for you to join us as we talk about what this means as we think about mexico and what's going on in the news these days thanks for being with us let's go <laughs> I used to go down with my friends basically once a m- month to Baja, California, where we were working with an indigenous community that was really impoverished, really in the middle of nowhere. It was a lot of fun. We went down with medical supplies. We played with kids in an orphanage. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, handed out, you know, old clothes. Sometimes we would have sweaters that said, you know, uh, congratulations, World Series champ. <laughs> the Cubs, but it you know,
1: yeah, but it was the opposite, so we had
0: to get rid of it, you know, so take it out of market,, uh, but I used to do that all the time, and you didn't go,
1: I went one time
0: but why what, why didn't you come along for the ride all the uh, those wonderful moments
1: I wasn't allowed to my My parents thought Mexico was too scary um, i don't know they I also. <laughs> I think they've been on some of the youth trips and they kind of realized that maybe they didn't fully uh, have, you know, if my if my dad, he probably wasn't interested in going on the trip at all. But if he wasn't going, he didn't want me going and putting my safety into the care of these other adults. You
0: know, youth group workers. And He's, of course, there were some very responsible adults. Of like course, I'm Scottie not. Scotty Nichols. I'm, but I, I understand what, what your dad was saying.
1: Um, But I think most importantly, it's just a foreign country, you know, like he I think he felt like he spent his life keeping his four daughters as safe as he possibly could. And why in the world then do I risk it on a weekend to go down to Mexico and throw it all away? That's that was his thought.
0: Now, at the time, I mean, I, that's yeah, not no, his no thought, I, I think so. And at the time, I thought that was really uptight and unnecessary. He'd
1: he'd often tell me too that when it came to decisions, he'd want to err on the side of caution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was that was that was how he you know made his decisions and stuff when it came to raising us, right? That I mean, there's different there's different philosophies, there's different things. Now, yeah. of course, he also. Um, you know, worked for alcohol beverage control for a little while, so it was in the bar He He's scene, in law enforcement. Law enforcement. He saw... Yeah, I know that, um, you know, he would always get really frustrated when he came home if the doors were all unlocked and open and once after dark, you know, once things... You know, anyway, so... And, of course, we did live in the area when the Night Stalker was a thing um, at he, the time.
0: was a dad concerned about safety, but my point then is... At the time, we thought he was kind of uptight. Today, I'm not sure I would go by myself with the Ford F-350 into Mexico in the way we used to. Mm-hmm. Just kind of wandering around. We were in our early teens mm-hmm. just wandering around Ensenada, wandering around uh, with maybe a couple other friends, uh, Tijuana, uh, maybe getting uh, an illicit beer here or there. Um, those days are largely gone and I didn't want to admit it. It was up to maybe just a couple of years ago when we were saying, you know what? It's kind of like sharks. If you, you know, understand what you're doing, there's all this hype, but actually it's very safe. We had a wonderful time. One of the best vacations we ever had.
1: Yeah. That was in Mexico. That was in Rosarito. Beach we area, went in right? a few and,
0: places. We visited the, the Paras down in Ensenada and it was just transformative uh, in terms of what we saw with food, we went to the via de Guadalupe. Yes, that was
1: that was a beautiful, beautiful time.
0: This this was just a wonderful time, and um, and it, we never felt really threatened. Although we were always together, right? We, we were we together were trying to be safe.
1: We also, you know, we did we did stay at Airbnbs, but we also paid very close attention to the parking situation and made sure we were, it was like gated or, you know, there was the one area for the, um, one Airbnb, it was connected with a hotel that had like a guard gated entrance. And so we knew that the cars were going to be watched, that kind of thing. And then the place that we stayed in Ensenada had a big, huge gate that you open up and drive in and then close it. So
0: point being, for the most part, if you're a, a relatively or middle level, um, American and you want to go down to a safe, closed off uh, resort area, probably still safe enough. But the problem is in the last few months, last year or so, there have been increasing instances of violence against tourists, American tourists. It's still not so prevalent that it's much different from a lot of the cities in America, depending on what you're doing with yourself, right? A lot of the time, you know, people are kind of in their condos in the United States, and they don't go to Chicago or to Portland and just wander the streets in the same way that they yeah. would um, in in Mexico, even though Mexico isn't going to be uh, at all safer. But the, the problem is, and, and this is really the key, when we go down there, we see, wait a minute, I actually feel like the average family, the, the, the people that you meet on the street are very hospitable, helpful, looking out for you, just always felt so positive uh, f- from all of the, the relationships we made, people that we met. And I remember when we were coming back from that famous uh, family trip down to Mexico, we, we came back at feeling just such a wonderful, positive feeling. Almost like, let's just drop everything. Let's move down here and get into the food scene down here. Um, with Mauricio. Mauricio had just... Uh, he, he was on the phone. Um, with Mauricio para with uh, Abigail. They were indirectly connected through some friends. And if you heard our podcast, it was Stacy and I doing a podcast way back on the Virtue in the Wasteland show. One of the only shows that you and me did without Dan. Mm. Dan did a couple without me. But we interviewed the Tuttles, mm-hmm. who were overlanders. And then right now, as we're recording, we're we're in the forest, and we've got the uh, the Delica behind us, and we're using our uh, mobile power station. But all of this came about because the Paras connected us up. They told us we should go look into and meet the the tuddles, Yeah. But anyway, so back then we 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 visited them, and then the Paras. When uh, he had this restaurant called Nomada, and Nomada was a a restaurant that was mobile, as the name suggests, and it would go to different vineyards and then set up shop for a little while and create some buzz and then move on somewhere else.
1: We went and ate at the
0: top level, top level food. And then, uh, but anyway, when we were there, he got a call, and a big hotel wanted him to, to kind of uh, sign a contract for him being in that one place. And I think they're still probably there, but that was all before COVID. So yeah. I should check in. My point is we're coming back across the border and the fear, the negativity was all of a sudden something that came about as we encountered the the agents.
1: Yeah. Well, I also think about years ago when, before we had our own children, uh, when we, um, You took the youth group down to Mexico and then then the border agents shook you down.
0: Yeah, they, they demanded, we never got any hassle. We got a free Turkey from the the police in Mexico. But then when I was coming across, um, a couple of my kids paperwork was not how it should have been. Although I did have photocopies of it, (laughs) they did not bring their passports. The border agent, these were two kids from Guatemala and their dad was the pastor the Latin, uh, uh, the Spanish-speaking pastor, and uh, the the border agents made made basically you 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 went across went to an ATM and then brought me cash or somebody else did. But th- we had one of get, the
1: other church volunteers.
0: Um, and you took some of the you I guess you went back with the kids. I think
1: I so, yes yeah, up to th- Los Angeles. Yeah.
0: But the main thing is I couldn't get, I said, can I get a receipt? They said, no, this is a bribe. <laughs> this is like, you know what I'm saying? They were shaking me down. And I had these two kids there, and I had these, these uh, the German shepherds kind of wandering about and snarling at us. It was a very frightening experience, and it was this very, uh, both of those experiences, going across the border the one time then and then later on with our kids, the, understanding the power of the United States— But having traveled all around the world, understanding how much symbolic patriotism and the eagle and all of this, um, how it felt. Yeah. It felt like the United States from that vantage point wasn't a cozy, welcoming place at all.
1: It felt very cold, militaristic. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, It's interesting because there was a... A certain spirit or ethos or something that we felt when we were in Mexico. And there is craziness, but there is, like, more of, like...
0: Joy, celebration, whatever whatever neighborliness.
1: Whatever God is sort of hovering over whatever spirits or whatever Mm -hmm. the feeling, the the ethos, whatever. There was, like, a freer feeling to it. Yeah. Then, as we kind of, like, come closer to the U.S. and then, um, you know, it's like this... There's like this, um, they have to show how powerful they are or something.
0: The United States. Yes, the United institutions, States Institutions, yeah. Yeah,
1: and so, you know, I and, I and I get it that they probably have to, you know, deal with a lot of different things or whatever, mm. but it just...
0: <laughs> well, if TSA agents are frustrated that you don't take off your shoes, I can imagine that border agents yeah. are going to get really bored <laughs> and, <laughs> and frustrated by what they get.
1: And they probably do need to sort of exercise their power in order to do their jobs the way that they think they need to. I don't yeah. know. Well,
0: if that's your job, this yeah. your job, this is the key. So what's going on? Why is it like this? Imagine, friends, that we lived in this world. Let's think about it as like a fictional science fiction kind of world where a few individuals have obtained a credible power through... Um, the accumulation of wealth and they use this wealth to control the polit- politicians and to s- carve up the world for their own um for their own corrupt benefit, behavior. benefit. yeah yeah for, for their own right for their own benefit well this is what charlemagne did this is what the united states and other imperial powers did this is what all the european colonial powers did and this is what the cartels are now doing Okay, in Mexico. What it is, it's a tale as old as time. Regions are carved up by powerful men that want to take all the things for themselves and use people for their own benefit. Sometimes it's a government, sometimes it's a corporation, sometimes it's a gang, okay? And really, while there might be differences in the way people work their evil, I don't see a lot of difference. I don't see a lot of difference. In that, governments will use violence and they think of it as legal violence. Mm -hmm. They'll drop bombs on houses. Innocent innocent
1: civilians will Innocent innocent civilians
0: can be killed. mm -hmm. So when we see cartels doing this, I'm not excusing that whatsoever, but I'm not saying that it's that palpably different from the way you see all of the governments of the world emerging. And then eventually they become legitimate and then they try to clean up their image they bring a little religion into it and now they're all they're all cool but here's here's the point here's why the the short answer to why mexico matters is if we were looking at this dystopian world and we saw masses of people Or, you know, beings moving from one part of the globe to the other, Mm -hmm. desperately trying to cross these borders with babies held above their head as they're crossing rivers, then you would say something's wrong in this dystopian world. Yeah. What we say in America too often is we say, oh, well, they're illegal. They're doing this illegal thing. I don't even care what you think about how we should solve the policy. We're not going to have a show today about how to solve America's immigration policy we want to reflect on how did we get here and what does this mean what it means is we're in the middle of that movie that science fiction movie where things on that planet are not great
1: and there's areas that are suffering more than others and so people have to flee that area to and find safety to find food to find yeah. shelter to find whatever it is because if you're desperate and you've got babies that you're trying to take care of yep you'll do they're going to keep coming you need to often Andy, to take and, care of those babies. And, and listener, then, you would too. And then when you see the discrepancy and the disparity between how some folks are living versus others, and then you know that you're having a hard time getting food for your baby, mm-hmm. that. I mean that is just like heart wrenching, right? Like, it's
0: too hard to even think about sometimes for me as I see pictures of, of these parents bringing their babies across the river, and then there's a, a dude with a cowboy hat and a bullwhip whipping the, in this case, the Haitian refugees away from the United States.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So why you know why why are they coming here?
0: Why? They're coming here for all the things that or for all the reasons that our friends on the religious right deny climate change and economic injustice, right? And colonialism. Basically, there are a bunch of evil European um, conquest groups that went around, the Belgians and the French and the Spanish and the English or whatever, and just, just took over... These indigenous places have said, this is ours now, right? So we've got this thing where we, when we, when we walk around our neighborhood, there's another Delica that I really like that has a bumper sticker that says, um, no one is illegal on stolen land.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. the game,
0: right? Yeah. So we, so somebody got here first and listener, unless you're like super wealthy, you're, you're probably not really enjoying that ownership of the land yourself. It's not like it's owned for the everyday people and the workers and the citizens. It's mm-hmm. really, a, it's owned by a very few people. Um, the world. The world, yes. And certainly, but certainly in the United States uh, we've got some public parks and things, but generally speaking, we're in people storage, serving as wage slaves for a state that is, basically dominated by these economic interests. So then you go to Mexico and you say, how can they fix it? I don't know how you fix the corruption in Mexico because of the power of the cartels and the difficulty of being a person of integrity when people of, of integrity get decapitated, yeah. hung upside down <laughs> underneath bridges, um, their families murdered. I mean, it's, how do you deal with that? Well, one of the ways you deal with it is you create your own little fiefdom or your own little world. And I'm thinking right now about um, these colonies of fundamentalist Mormons that are down there, and they are arming themselves. They got pickup trucks and illegal weapons, and they are having to defend themselves directly against the cartels. These are white people that sound like they're from... Texas.
1: And that was what, Mitt Romney's family? Mitt
0: Romney's family is from that and all. And they're and there's down there. So, but it's, it's this, I think the reason we all need to care about what's going on at the border right now is because this is just the beginning. It cannot get better anytime soon when we're starting to see places like Bangladesh. I know it's another, another side of the world, but we're seeing climate change affecting coastal regions. Um, it's affecting crops, it's affecting the livability of certain places. And then you couple that with the corruption of the, uh, the global capitalist system that increasingly consolidates wealth in the hands of, of the, the powerful and few. Achoo. And then there's all these desperate people. Now, we just need to all start from that reality, that there's a bunch of desperate people that are now knocking at the door of this border of this country. And they're not necessarily all from Mexico, not even mainly from Mexico. We've got Honduras, Guatemala, two places I've been. Incredible poverty. Um, Costa Rica, the cartels are starting to move in there now too. It's going to get worse and worse. So the Central American refugees are coming up. The Haitians are coming up through. The Mexicans themselves might be coming up through, but all of this is just the, the implications of a corrupt global system. You can disagree with it, friends, just like so many. I mean, it was just a few years ago that people were telling us that our uh, spreading lies of the devil was what we were doing when we were talking about climate mm. change. And now it's... I'm not even sure people really believe that climate change is fake anymore. Yeah. Because they, you just see it.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you, you get tornadoes where you <laughs> never had tornadoes. You get hurricanes that are coming in stronger than ever before and more of them.
0: You the science d- is so silly, yeah. obvious now, and have, people are dealing with it directly.
1: We have weird bouts of tons of rain, times of absolutely none, you know? Mm. The... I don't know. The weather, it's interesting because it seems like everywhere I go, everybody will be like, oh, but it's not normally like this. Mm. But that's what I keep hearing everywhere we go each of these years. Right. (laughs) And like, oh, this is unusual for this time of year. Well, I don't know. I think we don't have a usual anymore. I don't know. But, you know, I think that... The unusual has become the, the, the norm.
0: Right. You're going to get all sorts of different things changing. Now, along with all of this, there's the problem of the children. Of course, during the Trump administration, there was that ad- abominable treatment of children as a deterrent, trying to say, hey, if, if you guys come up to this country, you're going to lose your relationship with your kids. You're going to be separated from your kids. It, it, it is a horrific counter uh, you know uh, disincentive but it was one that we had meanwhile you've got this thing that as i mentioned at the beginning of the show that we were going to all the time and that is these orphanages i've talked early on on this podcast about how i was uncomfortable with a, a, a pentecostal woman that was running one of these orphanages it turned out she was working and she was they were trafficking these kids yeah So this thing that we thought was really groovy was heartbreaking heartbreaking and one of the worst things. So you're going down like, oh, this is really great. We're helping people out. We're doing charity. This is another example of why charity is no good. We need justice. We need a situation where families can raise their own kids. Yeah. (laughs) Some of these kids, they're not orphans. Their parents are or bumping up to the United States to make enough money
1: or couldn't care for them for one or, reason or another so
0: but a lot of them I know like I know that as we've talked to a lot of these uh, different families people involved in it they actually were around but that's where the the kids were kept while they went up and did you know service industry jobs across the border sending money back to the family um sometimes it was just that was the way they were going to get fed even some of these so-called orphans, their families lived down the road. Right. So what's, what's going on? Injustice. Injustice is killing people. It is breaking up families. We need to start from this perspective as we look at all of the decisions we make politically and economically. But there are 700 orphanages, uh, more than 700 orphanages in Mexico, housing, uh, 30,000 plus children and that's of 400,000 children that don't have parents and 100,000 of those kids are homeless. That should make you sad by itself. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All these kids. but We know that the foster system in the United States is not ideal. So sometimes I think, well, Maybe these group homes can be better if there's oversight. But when you're in, when you're talking about Mexico, you're not talking about great oversight. You're not talking about um, a world in which the ability of the average person to police and oversee a something to well, I say police, but I'm talking about the every, everyday citizen to have a board of directors to say is this is this reasonably safe. Um, they don't even have a national census. They don't have the same kind of statistical tools or government agencies to really be able to keep up with this. So because there's no records, um, you don't even know where these kids go sometimes, right? Like it's, they don't even have the full tracking of, of mm-hmm. where they might be. Um, and so, uh, abuse, uh, horrible conditions, just malnutrition and all of this still exists within these situations. And then you take, you know, into account that a lot of the time there are also these kind of weirdos creepers in the United States that get kind of run out of their church jobs. And then they can end up being quote missionaries in Mexico mm-hmm. with very little, again, little oversight. So, this is again. This is not a show where we're going to have any answers, but it is to say, just throwing money at it or supporting an orphanage is not necessarily yeah. at all going to be helpful. And nor is charity in general. Charity isn't very helpful because I remember we used to go down to Mexico and we'd be handing out, um, you know, our food or whatever, and that so- sometimes kids would be giving us the middle finger. Like, why are they angry at us? Yeah. Well, I c- well and then you think, because I mean,
1: what charity? Charity is you're giving it out of giving out of your abundance and like kind of a lot of times it makes you feel a little better yes um but it doesn't solve the problem and the only way that the problem really would be solved is if people had there was more equity in the wealth distribution (laughs) in general yeah Um, enough so that, I mean, everybody had access to food. Everybody had access to shelter as we, there was that one comedian that we heard the other night that was like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about this, I saw this homeless guy and I'm like, all like almost everything I'm doing to make money is just going to not be homeless. Yeah. I'd be rich if I were homeless.
0: Right. (laughs) you know and obviously that's he he, (laughs) you know this comedian so obviously there's other downsides but that's it i mean we we spend most of our money
1: trying not to be homeless
0: yeah and it's a and it's a stress and we're as we're camping we're feeling like a lot of people i could just kind of sense it that people on this mother's day weekend are stressed and we still
1: and we i mean we still have more resources than other folks that are feeling it even worse you know it's Mm. it's it 's crazy it 's crazy how um, how much inequity there is on, and, the, on this planet
0: and one of the main reasons is that we are still in the wake of these European colonial experiments, and they were extracting resources that 's what they did mm-hmm. it 's really horrifying mm-hmm. if you didn 't get it in the school, just think about it again it 's horrifying there are these Basically, these cartels that now are, are going on the road. Imagine if, like, the Mexican cartel said, now we're going to go enslave and exploit people in Canada. Mm-hmm. You want to keep them out mm-hmm. for the same reason that, you know, the conquistadors or whatever, you don't necessarily, you don't want them knocking on your door. Especially, even though there were some weird atroci- atrocities that certain groups of Mesoamericans would commit against each other, um, the thing that we don't realize often growing up in, especially for us, Southern California, it was that pre-Columbian Mesoamerican society was pretty significantly advanced. Mm. Um, So you have these big urban settlements, monumental architecture, temples, palaces, stuff that looks like Near Eastern ziggurats, whole societies, religious traditions, slightly different in terms of how much they're going to write down. But, um, you have eventually in the, what becomes Mexico, the division of society into the religious political, um, elites and then the commoners who are pursuing subsistence culture, which means that in, in another sense, you don't want to just say it's just the Europeans. The problem isn't this ethnicity versus that ethnicity. The problem is this way of being, are Mm -hmm. you a dominator and Mm -hmm. an exploiter? Or are you one of the many, many peasants that have to just survive to give tribute to some powerful warlord? But they do have this agriculture. They do have these economies. They have the trade networks and markets. What? It increasingly seems to be is that the more we research what's going on, the older these population um, migrations from Asia into the Americas, that's older than we thought, and their civilizations are more advanced than we thought, and that it wasn't bullets and technology that overcame all these groups, it was... Pathogens. Mm. It was disease, so the Europeans brought diseases that the that the indigenous people of the Americas did not have uh, the ability to, to combat, and they died. So we just wiped people out um, through these the diseases. So then you go back and say, oh, it's like this idea: Mexico just filled with these barbarous, you know, backward, poor people. You know, that's just how it goes when you're like that. Well, no, that's not. That's what happens when you decimate a society. Mm. And the society had, you know, a whole variety of different, um, communities and they were, uh, they were not all the same. You know, there was Aztecs, of course, they're famous more recently. Uh, but you can see that they had, um, really developed a a full culture that had the so-called three sisters, which was the corn beans and squashes, they would grow them together, and, um, in fact, that's what we should start doing, <laughs> doing, getting those three. We've got our squashes going, mm-hmm. but I think that might be a, a really good way to go, um, but a, a really fun diet. I mean, we certainly and peas. love the Mexican food. And We talked about food. peas. Yeah, <laughs> peas being Well, I mean, they Is that for us? What? I don't, I don't know if peas was part of the No, for uh, us. Oh, I was I see. just joking. Yes, yes we're going to Oh, you're saying make sure we put the snap peas yeah, in the garden. You
1: mentioned we have the squash, and Yeah.
0: And there are. It's kind of interesting. What I've been enjoying um, is a lot of uh, Latinx folks trying to decon- decolonize their diet, going back to the parts of the dishes that are in the moquehete. Yeah. Uh, the the like the guacamole, the sauces with the charred v- vegetables, the root vegetables, um, as opposed to just relying on the things that are the Spanish influence. Gotcha. Right? Mm. Hmm. And when they do that, I tend to like those places. They tend to be really nice. Now, one of the things that I think is kind of fun to think about uh, related to the religion of Mexico is that Virgin of Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Won't spend too much time on it, but um, there is the great mother, um, nuestra abuela. Uh, the This goddess, Tonatzin, is depicted in many ways in the same way as the... Virgin of Guadalupe. And it, it's a kind of a poignant thing. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. comment on it in a negative or positive way, other than to say, it makes me a little bit sad and a little bit happy at the same time. That is, there's this apparition of Mary that is dangerous to the, to the Catholic powers, because it says that God can speak or the Holy at least, right, can mm-hmm. speak to indigenous people mm-hmm. and they can be Catholic too. So I like that because it's an access to this new religion that mm-hmm. the Spanish are bringing in. And they've made it their own. That's good. But on the other hand, now they're still stuck in this thing that I'm trying to deconstruct for myself, right? right so sure. but I do love the Virgin of Guadalupe in the sense that it, there's this kind of Guanyin.
1: Yeah, that's what I was wondering, like archetype. how close how close to the yeah, to the Guanyin archetype, is it? Because I, I I, from what I understand, because what I understand is it's like where you go um, when you need to pour out your troubles in mm-hmm. your heart. It's somebody, it's like the, this goddess will, or this yeah, being will listen to you, um, will hear your, your suffering.
0: Moms right. who do not have a lot of access to power in China, Guanyin. Mm-hmm. In Mexico, Virgin of Guadalupe you pray to this mother deity
1: to hear your suffering and for to, the
0: same kinds of and things and to
1: find relief
0: if you can well and the iconography always has little babies too you know yeah guanyin sometimes related to her being like a mama over orphans and so forth but it it doesn't matter it's that it's that loving mother deity kind of like um well, I mean, you know the reason it, it's so popular is if you have this vision of the old man in the sky who's always trying to smite you.
1: Yeah. You need... You,
0: you need, need mama to step in the way and try to get out of the the way of the abusive father.
1: Um, which, by the way, a little sidetrack here. Um, we've been watching the documenti- documentary series of the Menendez brothers. Yes. And they talked about that it was when... One of the Menendez brothers discovered that their mom knew about the abuse the whole time, is what all of a sudden triggered them, and then they could not recover from that because it they thought they were protecting the mom by just heard she didn't know yes. and allow this to just be like this is something like a little secret over here on this side, but when mom knows the whole time and she didn't step in and the the depth of which these kids were suffering under the hand of their father mm-hmm. then then that feels hopeless
0: it it is a thing
1: and and that is i mean i think that's what that archetype where you want the mother to step in you want somebody to intercede for all of the the torturousness that you feel like you're enduring from you know, perhaps maybe the dad god in the sky. I don't yeah. know. You know, anyway, it's, it's crazy, but the, it is um, there is a desperation when you feel like nobody's got your back. Mama's not listening and Papa's, you know, not listening. Or they're listening and they don't care.
0: One thing that I'm resentful of my schooling for, one reason I'm resentful, is that one of the most important historical conversations we could have had was what was going on in the Americas with respect to the indigenous civilizations of Mexico, Mm -hmm. we spent a heck of a lot of time talking about the Sumerians and the Medes and the Persians and of course the Romans and the Alexandrians and all this. And, And that's important because it affects the flow of Western culture and the literary history. You know, so it's important. But we did not learn about the Olmec, the Maya, the Toltec, the Aztec, the Teotihuacan. These are peoples that had histories and influence and they're just not a part of the story. And I think the reason that is, is it makes us feel a lot better to say that in this paternalistic way, yes, we're sorry that we've got all this stuff and you don't, but it's because we're advanced. (laughs) Yeah. No, that there was advanced culture. And as, you know, I can't get tired of saying, when the Europeans came over, the one thing the Europeans and the indigenous people of the Americas agreed on was that the Europeans were disgusting to behold because they were malnourished, pale, pocked with... um, uh, the scars of disease, all of these things being the manifestation of, of civilization as as the Europeans had it. And the indigenous people of the Americas were healthier, better teeth, mm. taller, um, better looking. And they both agree, they both agreed on this. And what it says, though, and you're not judging a book by its cover, but you are judging a book by, like, When you feel healthy, when you look healthy, sometimes there is an element of being in a situation that's supportive and nurturing and Mm -hmm. in touch with nature. When you start exploiting the land, even so much that you now don't have enough sustenance for people and they have to go to the new world to just have a place to live. Yeah. That's the story of the Americas. It's, this is the place where people go looking for food Hmm. and it was the original migrations people following the uh, the mammoths and the the f- the flocks the herds that would be traveling over the bering strait i believe this is still the, the the prevailing theory though it does seem that it's possible that several groups might have come by boat like the polynesians the the fact though is everybody's just looking for a place to have their family eat and we now find ourselves in a a, a rather sad situation that goes back to, let's start with the conquistadors. The conquistadors are villains that just come in, uh, torture leaders, um, play different groups off of each other, but ultimately they're just looking to fill, fill their own coffers and their own individual coffers. But they do this in the name of other foreign powers that eventually then rule. So the Spanish ruled Mexico from 1521 to 1821. And they basically just wipe out the, the the viability of any of these old civilizations as civilizations. What you get left are what they call the Indios Barbaros. The Indios Barbaros are what we think of in American culture, the United States culture, as Indians, Mm -hmm. but this is because those groups of people were more tied to the wild, but they weren't the only ones. So if you imagine if, God forbid, if the Russians blasted, you know, Seattle, Portland, New York city, and Chicago, we'd still have a certain kind of American running around, but they'd be living in different kinds of lifestyles than urban people. Right. But that's pretty much what you, what you run into now. Napoleon in, and, and Spain are at it in Europe, and this creates a crisis of authority that allows for an independence movement in the early 19th century, 1809. And you have this group of people known as the Criollos, or um, Creoles. This is a person of full Spanish descent, but somebody who's born in the colonies. And when we think Mm. about Mexican history, when I was thinking about it, uh, like uh, Father Miguel Hidalgo or something, these Creole people were, we say, ah, this is just like, you know, just like the United States. And in many ways it is. It's the European men that are frustrated that they're not getting the benefits that European men in Europe are getting. Mm. They're not fighting for the average person. They don't have solidarity with all people. They still want to be on the top of the hierarchy. They just don't understand why they don't get to vote on their own matters. Gotcha. So rather similar in terms of, I think, the, the, the political issues of independence when it comes to Mexico and America. But the difference is, for Mexico, you get a much, I think, a much larger group of what we, what are known as mestizos, the mixed people. So you have Spanish and indigenous heritage. That's what a lot of Latinx people are um, in Central and South America. Whereas in the United States, that was seemingly less common. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was not a lot of. Uh, there are very, very strong cultural and sometimes legal prohibitions against intermarriage. In like the Virginia slave laws and and, and other things, uh, you can't have the mixed race kids getting any benefits. And they do have uh, another group within the Mexican history is mil- mulattoes. Mulattoes then also have the heritage of African slaves. And that goes into a whole set of internal biases and, and privileges for different groups within Mexico and other places. But ultimately all of this goes up the West coast of the United States and that's the Spanish land. But when we think more about what the Mexican people had as a culture, they were in Texas, And Arizona and California until eventually the United States is going to come back in and wants that territory. So Mexico has its war of independence from 1810 to 1821. The original Mexico, interestingly, includes Costa Rica, Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua and Honduras. And those other groups kind of uh, break away. Then you get this guy from 1829 to 1854, Santa Ana. And he creates his own kind of rule. He, he tends to bounce around politically
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, for his own you know I- expediency. But around this time you get in 1836, from 1836 to 1846, the Republic of Texas. So Texas becomes its own entity. And then you have the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848. So America now is expanding. It's thinking about its manifest destiny. And it really wants Alta California. And it's a nice place, right? Right. But um, this gets to the point where the Americans go in and they occupy Mexico City. And I guess what this says to me is, I, I don't rem- I don't remember the simplicity of that narrative. That America wants this territory on the West Coast. And I'm using America as the United States. Okay. Goes in and takes this area, and then ends up in Mexico. And then we say, what's wrong with you guys? Hmm. Why aren't you, you know capitalism and make you prosperous no capitalism and guns
1: Yeah,
0: right like whatever we had was also you know you had the guns and so um anyway mexico has its own revolution 1910 1920 you got uh, emiliano zapata who's kind of fun um the zapatistas today even in the state of chiapas are an interesting modern example of an anarchist community uh, and they're tied more to indigenous people and um, the the common like peasant. Sometimes you get like the communists being very much about middle class workers, mm-hmm. and I so the Zapatistas they they're really supportive of indigenous people in a do way that they, other groups
1: do. They use weapons too. They do. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they do. Yeah, and so uh, they're they're uh, they're not against using violence. And as, I mean, th- I, w-
1: I think that's the only way to. Hold your ground,
0: oh, boy. I don't again. need. That's another conversation.
1: Well, I'm saying in in some of these territories, because mm-hmm. they'll just come over and. Take
0: oh, exactly. You over, you yeah, know, no, like, exactly. This is this is what I think in the Tao Te Jing. It says you've got you know don't be militaristic. They're in, the,
1: they're in the storehouse, and you don't you know you don't need them necessarily, but you got them, and, and then people know you got them, so you can protect yourself, so you can exist in the way that you're trying to.
0: mm mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, even. You know, like we talked about, even with some of the like the Mormon families, like Mitt Romney's, they they have to protect their area with guns. They they have to patrol their border, their their yeah, area yeah. border. You yeah, know, it's right.
0: It's Mormons, whatever. I mean, there's just that's just and and so right. What is it that's creating this situation that people have to do it right? Like yeah. that's that that you're not going to say, "Hey, let's just all be peaceful." It's well, not as simple as that.
1: And. I don't know. I think in a lot of ways, uh, the, a lot of our apocalypse type um, shows that kind of show the end of the world or whatever. And then you have these communities that build up, right. And they Mm -hmm. have a certain, you know, certain amount of resources that they have to protect that little community. You know, I think like the walking dead and some of you know, some Mm -hmm. of those shows, um, either one, there's been ones more recent, but,
0: but You, you can't get a better analogy in this one sense as long as you're not saying that the immigrants are the zombies it's no. to say that the the effects of the economy
1: right the whatever's going on in the world and if you want to yeah. form a little community you have yeah. to have like they for these in these these shows they show you know it's like you you have perimeters you have boundaries you And have usually
0: a very protection. cruel governor
1: <laughs> usually
0: so, all right, so that's what's going on. And then, so you kind of have that to give you a sense of what's going on with the cartels and the, the different politicians. But um, recently, Mexico's president accused the Pentagon, that's our defense department, of spying uh, because they got this uh, Washington Post report. Uh, Lopez Obrador was mainly also taking aim at the Drug Enforcement Agency. That's the DEA. And he accused them of informing the Mexican media uh, in an effort to weaken them politically. Hmm. And I think this is something that we as United States citizens should be very concerned about. And that is the ways in which our drug war has negatively affected what's going on there. Right. Like the the fact is that there the Me- Mexico is taking. S- sometimes chemicals from China to manufacture meth or fentanyl, and then sending it up to the United States. But we're the ones who are paying for these illicit drugs. And so our drug war is having a negative effect on what's going on in Mexico, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. states and corporations trying to regulate what people uses medicine and i'm not saying fentanyl is a good medicine from almost any context no, uh, although i think i think people. um i've met some people that had serious chronic pain that needed it for like you know um i think if i'm not mistaken well, i but thought
1: i thought now of course it was a comedian but you know. saying that um they were they were in the service in some way.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. What was it? And, they needed it in the and
1: they would give it in in like the more like the infirmaries and stuff like the yes. that would injure in for the field, injured yeah for injured so- soldiers and, ugh, soldiers and stuff that they would give them fentanyl. Uh, and of course, you know, I I guess regulating the the dose is, is key, um, and then that's not a laughing matter. But uh, but apparently there are some instances where it has helped people. <laughs> Um I, I yeah I'm, anyway,
0: but regardless, what's not helping people is, however, the u s and Mexican governments have tried to fight it through the so-called drug wars. Right. We've had our drug war that goes back arguably to anti Mexican fear that was stoked up by Hearst, who wanted to keep hemp from the uh paper making industry. Hearst had his own forests. And he had his own newspapers, uh, the great yellow journalist. And so remember back to reefer madness, the Mm -hmm. problem of marijuana, marijuana being given a Mexican sounding name instead of cannabis or hemp or something else uh, so that people could be afraid both of the immigrants and of Mm. this weed in 2006, Mexico gets in on its own drug war. And I I wouldn't say that at the time of Hearst, the drug war was as problematic as it became after uh, Nixon and then Reagan, who understood that there are certain kinds of plant medicines, if you will, that will make you less likely to want to kill people because you were told to, right? (laughs) Right, right. Um, you, You are not very compliant on some substances. And so they realized, and rightly so, that the hippies needed to be shut down the psychedelics and the weed and all that, but
1: well, rightly so compared to for their agenda.
0: Yeah, for their agenda, it makes sense, right? You don't need that. Uh, you don't need people thinking for themselves and, and meditating. But Mexico has seen three hundred and sixty thousand murders since two thousand six, when its cartel war began. And America, I remember we were applauding and yay, Mexican government, you take care of the 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 drug problem mm-hmm. down there. Mm-hmm. Um. But so the U.S. is helping Mexico modernize its law enforcement. The United States funds anti-drug and migration mitigation. So we basically pay the Mexican government to stop Guatemalans from getting to our border. Right. Like, yeah, we we, that's one of our strategies. Um, But recently, some Republicans are arguing for sending American military uh, down into fighting the cartels. They, there's this kind of, se- there's this sense, this is very wrongheaded. So first, first of all, the, it's been very difficult for anybody to fight these things, Yang style. Mm. But um, but this, this Republican idea of trying to go down and uh, basically start a war in Mexico is like, sounds to me like the new Afghanistan. Please, no, no, thank you. Who knows how hard that would be. But just I think the sentiment, the hawkishness of it is worth checking for any of us listening in your neighborhood. Whatever you think about politics, also keep in mind, in addition to other issues related to the well-being of LGBT and BIPOC people in America, there's also this question of whether we want to be continually in a foreign war which is really good for totalitarianism. Right, if you want to stay totalitarian, you always are fighting some war so there's some enemy that we can scapegoat.
1: Well, here's here's the what is the um what would be the motivation or the intention of us going down there to fight the the cartels?
0: Well, I mean, it's a continuation of American hegemony through power and military might. Right? I think that's what's going on. The argument is, and I all right, the best spin on it is Mexico's not able to curtail its uh, fentanyl export. We need to go do it because it's killing a lot of Americans, right? Yeah. Where's all this coming from? Mexico's Mm -hmm. making heroin and some of the meth, some of the fentanyl. Colombia is where it gets the cocaine. So the cocaine passes through Colombia up to the United States. China has most of the fentanyl production elements. And then this is what's really weird. U S grown cannabis is now going down to Mexico. The weed. Yeah. The weeds going down to Mexico along with guns and cash. And what's coming up is the cocaine and fentanyl and meth. Wow. What is all this? Borders are arbitrary. Borders are made up, right? That's, that's the first thing. Second of all, uh, you want to kill yourself with some substances? Let's talk about what's going wrong in your life. Do we need to criminalize it and turn it into a war? People are desperate. If I'm desperate, I'm not saying I'm going to do it, but I'm saying if I'm desperate, some of these dangerous drugs sound less threatening. Well, if I don't have a way to make a living,
1: right? And that's and that's the point. Yeah, what is the what being is, in the gang? What is the motivation for taking these drugs? You know what? Why? why is that becoming an issue? Right.
0: Right. So obviously you solve those problems. Then you've got a little bit, uh, of a handle on how to solve the problem without shooting people or arresting people. And you've got a lot of incarcerated, uh, Mexican gang members too. Now it's like, this is not tenable. Right. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> despite all this, there is Mexican, uh, there is migration to Mexico. Um, a couple of years ago, 35,000 Asians moved to Mexico, 68,000 United States citizens, and 13,000 Canadians. Uh, oh, and 61,000 Europeans moved to Mexico, partly because there are a lot of these areas where even, you know, wealthy people are having a great time setting up shop. But that's not the same. Whatever that is, if you get off a cruise ship, is not necessarily what's going on. You know, in, the, what I'm in the
1: real parts, yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's little, probably little sections, right? Little, little places, especially. Yeah,
0: well, and then they're controlled.
1: Well, America brings in a lot of money yep. into Mexico. Period. Americans going there for vacation, obviously buying goods, uh, having um, second homes. You know, vacation homes down there. Uh, there's a lot that we. Are a lot of money, like I said, we're bringing to that. Um
0: and you can feel like you're a god. Like we yeah. went down with our family. We we lived really well, party at hard because we could get the finest food, do whatever we wanted.
1: When you, I don't know, kind of, in some ways, it's like when the when we when when some people from England <laughs> traveled over here to the United States in search of they were in search of what land. Right.
0: Natural resources. Resources, yeah. all this
1: stuff. So here, you know, they...
0: Sometimes religious freedom, sure.
1: They run, yeah, they run out of, or whatever, they want over there in Europe, come over here. Well, you can, your money goes a lot further over there in Mexico. You could live on with less and feel very, very
0: rich. Yeah. Nonetheless, as people say, wait a minute, it's kind of violent here. Yeah, it's violent, and you don't necessarily realize how much more violent it, it was than before. So prior to the drug war, when you think about like the number of homicides, when we were younger even, you're talking about fewer than 7,000 homicides. Starting 2007, the year after the ju- drug war begins, you're rocking about 8,000 homicides annually. This bumps up to 26 in 2011. And now in 2019 and beyond, we're talking about 35,000 murders a year. So this is, so I mean, just from, let's say the difference between 2007 and 2019, we're talking about, um, like 25,000 more people killed. So something ain't right. Right. And I think this is all just need to think about as, as human beings. Like when we look around, it's easy for us to have a cognitive bias to block stuff out. But we have to ask why Mexico matters is because it's for us. It's a canary in the coal mine. Whatever is happening at our border is going to be happening globally. I mentioned Bangladesh. It's just because Bangladesh is incredibly poor and it's going to be having to move. What, what, what do you do with those people?
1: And, you're, and explain, too, why they're going Because of to. climate change. Yes, yes.
0: And what's really annoying is that then when it happens, I'm going to say, hey, remember you said there was no climate change? Like, whatever. You know, it's <laughs> like... It, there's a lot of the, parts
1: in Florida that oh, are in trouble.
0: No, there's a lot of pla- parts everywhere. And everybody used to make fun of the, you know, Al Gore, because he was easy to make fun of. But now it's... Oh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Mexico's former um, top cop, Hinaro Garcia Luna... He is kind of the guy who ran the the federales. He was convicted on five counts of taking bribes (laughs) and helping the Sinaloa cartel smuggle drugs. That's, we saw Sinaloa vehicle. When we we were in Irvine, it was scary because it seemed like a lot of the Sinaloa cartel would make exchanges in our little part of the world because it wasn't really Orange County. It was like right there between Orange County and L.A. County. And my understanding is there aren't really, there wasn't really a gang that controlled that territory. So it was kind of like this neutral area where you can do exchanges.
1: Right, right. Nobody fully owns it. So then you can wander in there. Multiple groups would wander in there and there could be clashes with the various gangs. That made it a little scarier. And just the stuff that's going down. (laughs) Because here's the other thing too. Irvine is built, so that you don't really know your neighbors, you don't have community, so you're not really paying attention to each other in the same way. So it's easier to have somebody slip in living there, you know, doing whatever deals are going to do or whatever because the neighbors don't really I mean they they care, they don't want they don't want hassle, but you don't know your neighbors.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> now As we come to a close, we say, all right, well, should we just use more violence? Should we be better at capturing people? El Chapo, uh, more recently, the Sinaloa uh, kingpin, Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, gets arrested. And you say, ah, good, now it's over, right? El Chapo, we got him. (laughs) All this really does is with his arrest, there's a whole new cartel that's ascended. And that's the cartel Jalisco Nueva Generacion. And they look like... Full-fledged terrorists, and these guys, um, the uh, CJNG, they are uh, incredibly, incredibly problematic, uh, because not only are they dealing with the, you know, the kind of escalation of violence, it's now kind of created these various, you know, highly militarized groups like another group, Los Zetas. The the Los Zetas is Unfortunately, part of uh, a lot of their members are from the military, the Mexican military. Uh, They're former elite members of the military, and their main income now is not from drugs, but from organized violence, theft, human trafficking, and kidnapping. There's a lot of dangers there now that maybe uh, wouldn't have been there 20 years ago. For me, I'm more interested in thinking about ways to uh, do like some groups who illegally put bottles of water as a gift for people crossing the border, um, working to, uh, advocate for humane options for asylum seekers, you know? Um, and I'll, I do hope to, you know, spend time and visit Mexico again extensively because I think it's a wonderful place. Love the food, of course, love the people, love the culture, but realize that, it's not just Mexico. There's a lot of places in America I don't want to travel to anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. And
0: that's changed in the last decade.
1: Yeah, we took our trip across the country, and uh, I would say that anytime we've gone somewhere, it's it's a different, it's a different scene post-COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah, in a lot of areas, a lot of, a lot of angry people. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of scared people mm. who,
1: and that's it. You know, fear, angry. So, f- well, and fear. Yeah. Uh, one of the signs of fear is anger or you know anger or expressions i shall say because what you puff yourself up and make yourself like tough and mean and then people it's almost like a a natural little bubble that keeps people away because they're like oh i don't want to mess with that right right and so it's a way of you know putting on a little shield around yourself or something there's a lot of reasons that make sense for people to be fearful right now during these times. We
0: don't realize how we're getting increasingly squeezed. And the problem is capitalism. The reason babies are suffering in Mexico and the reason that parents are trying to carry them over their heads through dangerous waters with uncertainty and fear ahead of them is because of capitalism. And climate change, which is because of capitalism. Yeah. Friends.
1: Well, and then here's the other thing, too, with capitalism is, you know, a lot of our supply chain stuff is thrown off because it costs money for storage, correct? So a lot of times the companies will reduce the amount of production so that it just fits the needs at the time. So there's no... You know, there's no excess that's just trying to be expensively stored or anything. Mm. They're not losing money that way. But then once the whole system gets a little bit disruptive, uh, or disrupted, sorry, it disrupts the whole flow of production and our ability to get some of these supplies. That's all capitalism-based. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. That right. we, you know, But we are very... The
0: invisible hand is a jackass <laughs> <laughs> at this point, right? But we're um, also yeah. so...
1: We're such a consumerist society that it's just—it's amazing how we, how much we have things that aren't reusable. How yeah. m- how much we rely on you know think new things keep coming to us. And I think that the other thing with capitalism in general is that it's easy and and even our computer our digital age it's easy to turn people into numbers. Yes and we're losing the that connection to each other our humanity right mm-hmm. uh we we almost because we don't know what to do about it we almost are afraid to hear people's plights and their pain um, and it's just easier to think of them as a, a number that we just, you know, we have to, it, and often say, so Oh, we have to protect ourselves and what we have and, and all that kind of stuff in our own families. So then you can just block out everything else. And then,
0: well, let me pause you then and say, that's, if that's what you're doing, just at least admit to yourself what that's what you're doing. I think the real scenario is it's like. The, the world is getting tough. Yeah. One of the things you can do is lock the door and try to ignore the screams of people desperately trying to get through the door. This is not new. Just know that you're doing that. Don't waste our time. Don't belittle human beings by saying these people seeking asylum are illegal. Yeah. That they're criminals. Shut up. Especially when you're basically you're wearing clothes that are, you know, slave labor. Just stop it. You can say that we don't have a choice but to close the gates and let everybody suffer through the apocalypse that's coming on their side of the wall. I don't like that idea. But I understand if you're afraid that the that the doom is coming your way. But friends, if we do not change our spirit as a, as a globe, if we don't understand that we're all in this together and that we start thinking about panhumanism, we start all working together as human beings to overtake and overthrow these few horrifically exploitative wealthy people and systems and governments nonviolently if we can, right? If we don't, if we don't do something about that, the problem is just going to come for our grandchildren, wherever we're sitting right now. It might be on the other side of the wall, but it's coming our way unless we heal this globe. And that's what we want for you, friends.
1: So wherever you are, friends, whatever madness you find yourself in the middle of, it is crazy out there. It is. There are times where it is scary. And my hope for you is that in one way or another, you can find deep peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect, since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP. And rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends.
0: But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Because you found this letter low too much.